we're continuing today. Actually, if we look at it like a hill, um, today we start traveling back down the hill in terms of our series on heaven. So we've been um, spending time working through our series and what we can know about heaven, what heaven will be like. This is week four of that six-week series, and so we've kind of been working our way up, and, and now we, we start to kind of inch closer to the end of the series. Um, and as we do that, there's a couple things I want to remind you of or help you track through. We have spent uh, a good chunk of time talking about things that, that we think um, are a big deal and that the better we understand them, the more we will be able to debunk some things that culturally we've been led to believe about what our experience in heaven will be like and, and maybe get to a point where we can get really excited about what's to come. Okay, and so, uh, you know, we, we talked week one just simply about the idea of what happens when we die. Where are our loved ones right now? that have gone to be with the Lord. And, and then we spent time talking about what the, the new earth will be like, what the eternal heaven, the place that we will spend forever, what that will be like. Uh, and, and then last week we spent some time talking about what we will be like physically, like what will our physical resurrection bodies be like. Uh, and, and so hopefully those things have, have caused you to, to maybe feel a little bit more excited about where we're going uh, when we die. Because frankly, when you talk to most people about heaven, they assume that heaven is the absence of terrible. But it's not necessarily this thing that drives you, that you have this passion uh, to get to. And, and, and I think what we've seen so far and what we're going to continue to see is that that's wrong. But that this is a place that, that was created um, so that we could spend eternity in complete joy with the God of the universe. And so uh, it's something for us to look forward to. And so this series has been kind of a faith endeavor as we look to bolster and strengthen our faith in what God has in store for us. And the more we have faith in what God has in store for us, the less this stuff matters each and every day, the less we, we have to fight to hold on to things each and every day. Um, it's, it's this definition in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Uh, it's the evidence of things that we can't see. Faith, real faith, is one of those things that changes the way that you live. Because it's the reality of the things that you hope for. Things that you can have this... this um, one. Sometimes our kids have this, um, this undeserved confidence. Right? <laughs> like, where does that come from? Like, oh... Yeah, I know that looks really hard, but I can do it like in an hour. And it'll be better than the one we could have, you know, bought at the store. And it'll be the best thing ever. And I'll turn it in and we'll get an A and everything. Whatever it is, this undeserved confidence. We've all had that before. Um, you know, experts will tell you it's a millennial thing. I'm not a millennial and oftentimes I have undeserved confidence. It happens. But this isn't undeserved. This kind of faith, this kind of confidence is real and it's rooted and it's set and it's true and it's non-negotiable and it's not something we have to wrestle with. This is confidence. This is absolute certainty of what we hope for. Evidence, evidence 
of the things we can't see. We can't see them. So the world would say, well, it's not real because you can't see it. And I would say, no, no, no. We have evidence of the things that we can't see. And that evidence is rooted in the word of God. And so everything that scripture tells us about what eternity will be like is evidence of the things that we hope for, but that we have yet to see. And when we have that kind of hope, it changes everything about the way that you live. Uh, most of you are familiar uh, with the, five, the story of the five missionaries um, that were killed in Ecuador. Uh, there's been a movie made of it. Jim Elliott is, is the most famous of them, and there's been a movie called End of the Spear. It's, it's an excellent movie if you ever care to, to watch that and find out more about that. But there's a group of five missionaries that went um, to, uh, to bring the gospel to a completely unreached people group in Ecuador, um, the Aqua Indians. Um, I, I said that wrong. It's not a color. I, I, Aka, not Aqua. Aka Indians. You don't care. It doesn't matter. Um, and they made contact a little bit at a time. Um, but, but one of the times that they made contact, uh, the five missionaries uh, were killed. They were speared. They were killed uh, by the natives that they were trying to reach with the gospel. In a completely temporal temporary way. Here's what we would say about that. They failed miserably. It was a terrible failure. From an eternal perspective, where faith matters, where faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and it's the evidence, the certainty of things that we can't yet see. From a temporal perspective, it was a, a terrible failure. But from an eternal perspective, it was a smashing success. Because what, you, what, what the rest of the story is that the Aka Indians, that tribe, is now predominantly Christian to the second and third generation. So the children, the, the, those that did the spearing, the murdering of the missionaries that had come to offer life, light, and hope in a world that was dark and hopeless, where death reigned. They came to offer this, and, and, and they, were, they were murdered for it. But yet, the mission agencies and, and, and the people and the prayer didn't stop, and it meant something. And those people themselves became Christians, and their children are Christians, and their children's children are Christians, to the point where that tribe of Indians has been completely redeemed. Minkaye, uh, the, the Aka Indian that speared uh, Nate Saint, one of the five missionaries, Here, here's what he says when asked about his eventual reunion with Nate Saint in heaven. He says, when I meet him, I'm going to run and throw my arms around Nate Saint and thank him for bringing Jesus Christ to me and my people. And then he added with complete confidence that he would be welcomed by the man he murdered that he would be welcomed home. And it's that kind of faith that revolutionizes the way that we live this life. Because if we're not changed by our faith, then let's be honest. We're just playing church, and it's silly. But it's that kind of faith that says, I will risk everything to go to a people group that will most likely kill me. That was not a surprise. 
to go to a people group that will most likely kill me because they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's that kind of faith that says, I have been so transformed by the gospel of grace that the person I murdered will welcome me home. That's why we do this. That's why we wrestle through this. That's why we learn what the scriptures have to say about what grace is. And that's why we learn what the scriptures have to say about where we're going and what's happening as believers. Because it necessarily must change us. Okay? And so today we keep going in this series and, and we're going to deal with uh, something that is heavy on a lot of your hearts. It's a question that a lot of you have had uh, when we start talking about heaven. It shows up in the box all the time. As a reminder, if there's things that you think we haven't answered um, that you're hoping to get answers for through this series in heaven uh, or things that as we talk today, it, it brings up a lingering question in your mind, throw it in the box and Vince and I will, will answer those. Um, in our podcast. We'll have another podcast this Tuesday. We'll, we'll try to answer some more of those questions. Uh, there have been a lot of great ones in there, but, but uh, there's room for more, okay? But relationships are one of them. People keep asking questions about relationships, and what will they be like, and what will my relationships in heaven be? If I'm married here, will I be married there? If I'm single here, will I have to be single for all of eternity, okay? And, and we start to have this. What about our family? Will our kids still be our kids in heaven, you know, will I still have the same relationship with grandparents and cousins and those things as, as I have? And throughout history, the church has actually told us something that I believe is not accurate on this. Uh, John Calvin, uh, Thomas Aquinas are, are a couple of, of the most prominent theologians that would have argued that, no, in, in heaven, those relationships melt away and become unimportant. And they're replaced with this one relationship between you and God. And that's the only relationship you'll have in heaven. Okay, and we're going to get into that today. And I'm going to tell you up front that, that uh, there's no biblical evidence to suggest that that's true. In fact, there's biblical evidence to suggest to the contrary. Okay? But we understand where they're coming from. Because our, our number one relationship in heaven will be with the God of the universe. Look at John 17, 3. And, and Jesus is talking here. And he's actually going to equate eternal life with knowing God. He's going to tell us uh, in, in the original language that these two are basically one in the same. Okay? So he says, now this is eternal life. This is what it is. Knowing um, that they know you, he's talking, he's praying to God, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So, so Jesus is saying here that to, um, to a definition that eternal life is knowing God, that they're essential for one another, that they're the same. And so one of the primary things, the primary thing, the, the most important thing uh, about heaven and the most important relationship that we're going to have is this relationship with the God of the universe. Okay, so I'm going to park there for a second, and I want you to know that. I just want you to let that sink in, that the best relationship that you're going to have, the most important relationship that you're going to have in heaven is with the God of the universe. And it should excite you. I'm going to, I'm going to pause for a second. It's okay right now if it doesn't. I know that many of you would be loath to admit that. You would hate to admit that that doesn't excite you the way that you think it should. It's okay. We're going to talk about it. We're going to work through it because it is something that should excite you. It's going to change everything. It's going to revolutionize everything. But I know you. You know me. 
when I say, oh, hey, it's going to be great. Uh, your, your best relationship in heaven is going to be with God. You're like, oh, cool. But because we don't know what it means and we don't understand how it works, we have this kind of ho-hum attitude about it. But I'm going to tell you what we should be like, and then we're going to get into why, why we can get there, how we can get there. Uh, Job says this. We've looked at this text before uh, in this series, but uh, he says this in Job 19, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. Um, and after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. We're clearly talking about the resurrection here in the new earth. In my body, after it's decayed, I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes and I am overwhelmed at the thought. Now, right now, most of you, now some of you, you would echo that with Job. Like, sincerely, from the bottom of your heart, you would echo this, yes, I am overwhelmed at the thought that I will see God with my own eyes. I will see him face to face. I will know him in a way that I can't possibly imagine now because God is spirit, and I don't even know what that'll be like, but I'll see him, and it'll be wonderful, and, and that moves you. But for most of you, that's not your response. There's a disconnect between this intellectual, I know it's true, and this emotional, I feel it, okay? And here's what I'll say. It's because we don't understand what it means. It's, it's like the people that will tell you, well, all you're going to do in heaven is worship God. And you're like, oh, great. Heaven is church that never ends. This is where you're supposed to say, yeah. But because, because we say all we're going to do in heaven is worship God, and the way that you right now equate is, okay, well, that means I'll just be in church singing songs forever. But the reality is because we'll be in this new reality, in this new heaven and new, new earth where everything is designed by God and the righteousness of Christ is in me and, and every, everything you do will be worship. You will worship God 24-7 on the new heaven and the new earth. You'll worship God 24-7 by virtue of doing anything that you please. Whatever you do will amount to worship because everything you do will be permissible and everything you do will be a joy that God has bestowed on you. And so when you enjoy it, you'll be enjoying God. That's the way that works. And that's the same way it is with relationships. See, a relationship with God will change everything. Seeing God will be like seeing everything else for the first time. So not only will we see God, but, but he'll be the lens through which we see everything else. When you see people, you will see God through, or I'm sorry, you'll see those people through this God experience that you've had. Because you'll have seen God. And, and when you see yourself, You'll see yourself. When you see things that have happened in this time on this earth, you'll see them through the lens of God. You know, things that, that floor you now that you can't possibly understand, in that moment will make so much sense, it'll be ridiculous. You ever, you ever had this, this thought where you said, well, I, I, boy, I'm going to have to ask about that when I get to heaven. I have that thought a lot. Man, I don't know what they're singing, but they are rocking out down there. But, but so here's this thing. I, we have these thoughts all the time. It's like, well, that happened, and I, I, I know that God will work it for good. I know that it, it, it was part of his plan, but I can't understand, and I'm going to have to ask about it. You won't have to ask about it. 
you'll understand. Because you'll see those experiences now from a completely new lens. You, you'll have seen God. Now, you won't know everything God knows, but you'll have seen him. And everything will be different. And that's the way it is with your relationships. Every relationship that you have is a relationship that'll glorify the God of the universe. Asip, the psalm writer, says it this way. He says, whom, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire but you. And your heart should say yes to that, but at the same time your heart should say, but wait, there's more on earth that I desire. There are people that I desire. There are experiences that I desire. There are things that I desire. And the answer is yes, those are both true. You're like, well, how can they both be true? Well, they're both true because every good that you experience, every real good that you experience, get this now, this is, this, you can't miss this and understand what, what awaits you in heaven. Every good that you experience is derivative from the giver of all goodness. Every joy that you experience is a derivative of the joy giver. Every relationship that satisfies and builds you up is derivative of the father of all. I'll give you this example. When Aubrey was little, I, I've told you this before, when Aubrey was little, she was, she was in um, uh, at Iowa City, and, and she's not alone. A lot of you have had, I know, uh, kiddos that were, that were born premature and other things. Aubrey wasn't born premature, uh, but she had RSV, and so she spent uh, almost a month, three weeks, three and a half weeks um, in the, uh, the pediatric, pediatric intensive care unit up in Iowa City. Uh, they wouldn't let her go to the NICU because they were afraid of the RSV and, and, and the other babies that were mostly premature there. And so she was in the peds unit. And um, Travis was three and, and Riley was 13. And so we had responsibilities at home in the Quad Cities. It's about 45, 50 minutes back and forth. And so one of us would stay, between Carrie and I would stay at the hospital and the other would go home. And um, there were a couple nights that we both were there together and my folks or small group people would come over and stay with the kids. And um, there's lots of fun, embarrassing stories about Travis during that time. We'll tell another, um, another time. But um, there was one time when Carrie was home with the kids and I was in the hospital room and I just wasn't comfortable leaving. So it had been a good, you know, 18, 19 hours sitting there, and I just, I didn't want to leave her. Um, but look at me. I was wasting away to nothing. <laughs> and then, Charles Hobbin, um, very good friend of mine, roommate in college, uh, uh, was in our small group. Uh, Charles, a big reason, not the reason, but a big reason that, that I am a, a, a mature Christian now. Um, Charles shows up in my room with a calzone from old Chicago. It was good stuff. It was a meet me, if you care. Um, But the question is, where does my joy come from? Does it come from the food that he brought? Does it come from the relationship that I have with him? Or does it come from both? And it comes from both. I was hungry and it was delicious. <laughs> but I was hurting and needed a friend. So here's the deal. If Charles shows up without food, I still have Charles. Charles. 
as a friend to my soul to comfort, encourage, and pray with me. He is the higher pleasure. And the food that he brought is a pleasure, but it's a secondary pleasure. It's derivative of this relationship. I, 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 need, I, I need that to make sense for you because that's how this works in heaven when we say that, that God is your primary joy in heaven, is seeing God and being with God. Yes, that's absolutely true. But that doesn't mean that everything else disappears. Everything else is magnified. So when, when you're thinking, oh great, my, my, my best joy in heaven is going to be God. Yes, that is exciting and you should get your head wrapped around that and it's going to be great because this is the creator and sustainer of all things. I mean, you don't even know. Okay? But part of how you will have this relationship with God is because you will see God's provision in every other relationship that you have. In every good thing that you experience, you'll be drawn back to the God of the universe through that. That's how that will work. Relationships won't go away when you get to heaven, but they'll be magnified because everyone you are a part of in heaven, everybody that you know, everybody that you talk to, everybody that you visit with is a clear connection to the best good, the highest pleasure. Everything else is pleasure that points back to. It's the same way on earth. It's the same way now, right? I mean, God is never jealous when you enjoy things that he has provided for you, as long as your perspective is correct. When you read a good book, right? Uh, I once had somebody tell me that I spend, I don't anymore, uh, but that I used to spend too much time reading um, novels and that I should read more theology. And he was right. I probably did need to read more theology. So I went and I got a master's degree in theology. But, but his assertion was that if I have two choices... And my two choices are, I could read fiction or I could be reading theology that God can only be pleased if I read theology. But there is something awesome about the pleasure of sitting in a chair with a cup of coffee and just reading for pleasure. God isn't jealous of that. You watch a good football game, enjoy good music, marital sex, a good meal, mountain climbing, hiking and camping, all of those pleasures are derivative of the one who provides them. And so God is never jealous of them. When I enjoy these things, when I enjoy these people, and I understand that that's a reflection of God, and I see through his through, I'm sorry, when I see through him, there's no competition. Okay, that, that's how that works. And so, yes, your primary joy in heaven is going to be uh, the God of the universe, okay? Because seeing God will change everything. Heaven will be seeing and knowing God, and then every other joy is derivative of that. And so they flow from the fountain of your relationship with God. So when I say God is your primary joy and the relationship that is going to be most critical to you in heaven. I absolutely mean it. What I also mean is you will have lots of relationships with lots of people. You will do a lot of things, and all of it will reflect your relationship with God. So don't walk away from that understanding thinking that what's going to happen is that I'm only going to know God and everybody else will melt into the background. That's what theologians have taught, but it's not biblical. They take this 
they, they take this statement from, from Asaph that, that what do I have in heaven but you? There is no joy on earth that I desire but you. And then they, they make that to mean something else that it doesn't mean. So I want you to take heart. You will have relationships in heaven that will encourage you, that will strengthen you, um, and, and that will make you love God even more. It's just the way that it, that it will work. Okay, and so uh, we're going to go through that a little bit today and talk about what some of those relationships will be. starts with Genesis 2.28. Uh, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone, so I will make him a helper who is just right for him. Here's just one of the ways that I would say, you know what, in heaven, we can be sure that we are going to enjoy other relationships. We've talked about this. The new earth um, is a return to the perfection of Eden. It's not, it's not going back in time. Okay, so if you, thought, if you thought the new earth was going backwards in time and going back to Eden before culture and technology and music and art and all of those things, that, that's not necessarily true. But it's a return to this state of, of perfection. Okay, and, and so what we see is that God, in that state of perfection, creates everything. And before sin has corrupted, before sin has entered the world, before anything has broken, he makes one statement about the quality of not being great. And he says, it's not good for man to be alone. So he creates him a helper. He creates relationships. And once the relationships are put together, he says, now it's very good. And there's no reason to assume that will change. Before sin enters the world, God says what people need, what what makes it very good, what takes it from not good to very good is community togetherness, relationships. That's before sin enters the world. We never read anywhere in scripture that that's now negated. So we shouldn't assume that it would be. Okay, one of the big questions that people have is about marriage. Will we be married in heaven? And and the verse that's most often cited about will there be marriage in heaven? um, Will we be married? Is this when the Pharisees come to Jesus? And in context here, they're trying to trick him. They're trying to convince him, uh, or they're, they're, they're trying to catch him in a trap. They're trying to get him to say something that's not true. They're trying to be able to prove that he's not the son of God, okay? And so they, they come to him with this uh, philosophical conundrum, okay? Uh, it's right before the text you have on the screen, and, and they say, okay, teacher, tell us this. You're so smart. There's a woman married to a guy who's got four brothers, okay? And before they have children the husband dies. Now, in Jewish tradition, then it was the next oldest brother's responsibility to marry her. Okay? So, he marries the brother. Before they had, I'm sorry, it was the next oldest brother's responsibility to marry her if she had no children yet. We can talk about that later. No children, he dies, she marries the next one. No children, he dies, she marries the next one. No children, he dies, she marries the next one. On and on. And so the question is, all right, so she was married to five guys, five brothers, When we get to heaven, whose wife will she be? Who will she be married to? And then this is Jesus' response. He says, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they'll be like the angels in heaven. Okay? And so this is the text we use to say, okay, well, there won't be marriage in heaven. 
Okay, there's two things about that. One is it's absolutely correct and it's absolutely incorrect. So um, it, it's, it's correct, but not the way you think. We'll get there. The other thing I want to point out to this is, is there's this thing in our culture where you die, um, your loved one dies, and then they've become an angel to watch over you. That's not factual. That's not biblical. You're never going to read that. Angels are a completely separate creation. Um, it, it's completely separate. God has created angels. God has created men. Um, there is no um, crossing over, transferring over, anything like that. In this respect, in this particular respect, they will be in heaven like the, or they, they will be like the angels in heaven. This is in no way, shape, or form saying that you will become angelic, okay? And that's a good thing, okay? That's not something that I'm taking away from you right now. That's actually something that's good, okay? And we'll talk next week a whole lot about what will our daily living be like in heaven. We'll talk rewards, right? We'll talk jobs. We'll talk recreation. We get to have all that conversation next week. But trust me when I tell you, it's a good thing, right? But Jesus says, in this respect, because they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, in this respect, they'll be like the angels in heaven. And so we would look at that and we would say, okay, so there's no marriage in heaven, except that's not biblical, there is marriage in heaven. There's one marriage in heaven. Look at this text in Ephesians 5. As the scriptures say, this is Paul writing to the church now, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. Okay, uh, In Revelation, we read about this grand supper feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb, where um, Christ, as the bridegroom, will come and claim his bride, which is the church. Okay, so there will not be marriages in heaven, okay, but there will be marriage in heaven. There will be one marriage, and you, as a Christian, will be married to the best we can, we can um, understand it, married to Jesus, and that seems weird. And I understand that that seems weird, but, but that's what we read in Scripture. And so here's what I want you to understand by that. And some of you uh, right now, you, you've got your, like, oh, time out. I will not be married to a dude. Seriously? Come on, stop that. And some of you were like, well, that's polygamy. No, it's not. Okay? Stop for a second. Here's what we're like when we wrestle with this. When we wrestle with the idea of marriage, or even the fact that I won't be married to my current spouse in heaven, um, here's what we're like. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes about this. Um, he, he's actually writing about sex. But, but here's what he says. He says, the fact that we get so upset about this thing that we know that's good when we get to heaven, he says we're like little kids. Who, If you're a little kid, the best thing you know is chocolate. And so when you try to explain, I don't know why you would do this, but this is his example. When you try to explain to a kid about how good marital sex is, First question is, okay, but, but will there be chocolate? Because that's the best thing he knows. And when you're like, no, there won't be chocolate. He's like, well, then it can't be good. Nothing about it will be right because the best thing I know won't be there. And it's just because he hasn't experienced the goodness that God has for him. That's how we are. We, haven't, we struggle with this idea of what marriage in heaven will be like. And will we be married? No, we won't be married. Why not? What's that about? And, and we, get, we get almost upset or indignant about the fact that it won't be what we know. 
but we're like that kid. Because marriage is the best we know, for some of us anyway, marriage is the best we know. We can't possibly fathom something awesome without marriage being a part of it. But marriage was always designed to paint a picture. Marriage was always a shadow, an illustration, to paint a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. When Carrie and I when our marriage is good, it paints that picture so well. Some of you can really take heart in that. Because some of your marriages, we've talked about it, you know it, some of your marriages are rough. They're not what you hoped they'd be. They're not what you desired for them to be. Some of you are single, and, and, and you just, this idea of being perpetually single, it eats at you a little bit, and I know that. But in heaven, we will all experience the perfect marriage. What marriage was always intended to represent, we will all in heaven experience it, and it'll be glorious. And for those of you that have great marriages, I'm glad, and I want you to keep working on those, because they're not going to be wasted. That's the one. Uh, receiving a new glorified body and relocating to the new earth doesn't, nowhere in scripture do we read that it will erase history. We read that it will culminate it. It won't erase it. And so your relationship with your spouse isn't going to disappear. It's going to be changed, but it's not going to disappear. Carrie is absolutely my best friend. I can say, yeah, she's not here, she's homesick, and so I, I'm, she's normally right there. Um, Carrie is absolutely my best friend and my closest sister in Christ. There is no reason for me to assume, there's nothing biblical to point me at, and there's no logical reason to assume that that relationship is going to lessen when I know God more, because here's what happens now. Carrie and I grow stronger together. We grow more intimate with one another. We grow closer together as we draw closer to Jesus Christ. That's how our relationships are designed to work. If you're in a marriage where you're not drawing closer to Jesus, then you've got a disconnect and, and you're not growing closer together. It just doesn't work. But as we grow closer to Jesus, we grow closer to one another. Why would I assume that when I am in heaven and I am clothed in righteousness and I have direct access to the throne and Jesus is now um, my my bridegroom, why would I assume that Carrie and I would not continue to grow closer to one another? There's no reason to make that assumption. All of our relationships will develop and mature and, and grow, but I, I fully expect that my relationship with Carrie will be my primary relationship apart from God in heaven. That she is my best friend here. I, I fully anticipate that she will be my best friend on the new earth for eternity. And that that relationship will only improve and grow. There's nothing biblical to suggest that that's not the case. And, and that's true with family, too. A lot of you want, you know, like, well, what about family? Will family be around? Will, will we have these family connections when we're in heaven? Again, there's nothing to suggest that you won't. There's nothing in Scripture to indicate that your family will disappear. Here's the deal, though. Your family will not shrink. It will get larger. 
because you have family connections generationally that you don't know about, that all of a sudden you will get to enjoy. I mean, I've heard stories about great, great, great grandpas. I've never met them. But all of a sudden, uh, if they happen to be in heaven, unfortunately for some of them, I have no idea, um, those relationships will start to be strong and intimate and will grow. And other people, family connections, friend connections will be close and intimate. What we, what we have to wrap our head around here is that everything that's good now about community, God isn't going to take it away. He's not going to erase it, but it will be amplified when we're free of sin. And, and you know what else that means? That means the family members that you struggle with, you're not going to struggle with them. That means the, the, the Christian um, brother or Christian sister, uh, either biologically or, or in the church, that, you know, you're both going to be in heaven. You know you are, but you don't get along very well. Like, I mean, I, you may not have any of those people uh, except for me. I know I'm, I'm that person for some of you. Um, it's okay, right? Uh, you know, the people that, that, you know, they call and you're like, yeah. No, it's not going to do it. Caller ID is awesome, isn't it? Um, or the party that you decide not to go to or the small group that you're not going to join because that one person is going to be in that one. Like those kinds of things. That's not part of the relationships that we have in the new earth. Because everything is redeemed. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Everything is redeemed. You won't have those relationships. And if you're here, and by and large, you're fatherless, your family will grow exponentially in heaven. There will be no shortage of father figures separate from the God of the universe that want to love and, and have a relationship with you. And if you are here and you're childless, there is no shortage of people to love and pour into on the new earth. Listen, it's not the absence of relationships, but it's the redemption of them, of all of them. There's nothing that you'll be missing. And your friendships will grow true. I, I, this is just something I wanted to throw up there for you, just, just because it blows my mind. Matthew 8, 11 says this, and I tell you this, this is Jesus talking again, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, talking about the new earth now. Many Gentiles will come from all over, by the way, if we're coming from all over the world, guess what that means? We won't all live in the same place on the new earth. Not everyone will live together in one city on the new earth. There will still be nations. We've read that in Revelation. There will still be different countries and different places. And you're like, well, how can that be? Because that's the source of a lot of bad things. No, no, no. Everything is redeemed, not replaced, right? But many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. That means you and I as Christians, we're going to have dinner with Abraham. Think about that. We're going we're gonna to sit down and we're going to have dinner with Abraham. Something I've always wondered in Scripture, when Jacob wrestled with God, what in the world did that mean? Like, what does it mean that Jacob wrestled with God? I mean, did they really just take their shirts off and wrestle around on the floor? Like, was it something different? 
and, and, it, and it reads like Jacob was holding his own, I want to hear about the time that Jacob caused God to submit. Right? I won't let go until you bless me, he says. Like he's, he's, You've got Bible stories that, that you can't wait to hear some, some just regaled about as you sit around a fire, as you sit at the dinner table. You know what I want to know? I want to talk to Elijah. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is the showdown at Mount Carmel where Elijah, against all of the prophets of Baal, calls down fire to bring the offering. And, and that's cool, but what I want to talk to Elijah about is how he trash talks the prophets of Baal. Oh, maybe your God can't hear you. You should shout louder. Oh, maybe he's in the bathroom. Yeah, go through and read that again in Kings. That's, that's the way it works. I want to talk to Elijah about that. What's the inspiration for trash talking the prophets of Baal? Not only are these relationships going to be the best they've ever been and they're going to be redeemed and they're going to be great and I'm going to find every need I've ever had relationally in heaven fulfilled in God and then through the other people that are in heaven. But I'm going to get to develop these relationships. I want to, I want to talk to Nate, Nick Saint, Jim Elliott, the other missionaries to Ecuador. I want to know what that was like, that thought process. Martin Luther, breaking away from the church, bringing about reformation. I want to talk to that guy. Who do you got? Think about it. Who, who, who are you going to go find? And more than that, chew on this. Let this push you. Who's going to look for you? If your ministry and your service and your heart isn't such that people are going to want to talk to you, that people are going to get to know you, that people are going to dig in with you, then let that be a challenge to you. These are the relationships that we'll have. And they'll be good. And they'll be worth it. Last thing I want to talk about this is, is what about our friends in hell? Will it ruin our experience in heaven to know that we, we have family and friends that are in hell? First of all, let me say this. You don't want family or friends in hell. So if you've got family and friends that are separate from the gospel, then I want to challenge you to be on your knees nightly. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even talking figurative. I'm saying I want you to get on your knees nightly and ask God for their souls. Ask God to give you avenues to talk to them about faith. Ask God to put other people in their life to talk to them about faith, and then this one's hard. Release God, not that he needs permission, but release God to do whatever he has to do in their life to bring them face to face with him. Because you don't want family and friends in hell. You just don't, okay? And, and that, it should drive you. But we wonder, will family and friends in hell, because we know that, that hell will have people in it. We know that the road um, to eternal life is narrow and the highway to hell is broad and many travel it. And so 
we assume that we'll have friends and family that, that don't turn to Jesus and, and don't trust him with their salvation and their life. And therefore we wonder, will that ruin our experience? You know, if I have a brother who I love dearly, who chooses to go his own way, and all of a sudden I'm in heaven, and he is not, what will that do to me? Okay, and I'm going to give you this answer, and it's, it's not going to be nice, but it's going to be biblical. And if you've got questions about it, ask me later, write them down, we'll talk podcast, or we'll talk face-to-face about this. It's not going to be nice, but it's going to be biblical, and here's the issue. It will not dampen your joy. Revelation 6.10, I read about the, the uh, saints in heaven. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they've done to us? These are people in the world. They're not, I'm sorry, these are people in heaven. They are clamoring for God to bring justice. And part of that justice is people in hell. They're clamoring for it. Because now that they see clearly, their perspective is different. Ah, it's harsh, but it's biblical. We read here Revelation 18.20. This is God talking now. Um, Rejoice over her fate, O heaven and people of God and apostles and prophets, for God has judged her for your sake. So not only do we, we get a picture in Revelation 6 of the saints clamoring for this kind of justice, but because their perspective is different, God says, now's the time to rejoice over their destruction. Like I said, it, it sounds harsh, but it's biblical because here's what will happen. There will be no confusion when we are clothed in righteousness. There will be no confusion. There's no part of us that will wonder if people were good enough. The cultural illusion of goodness apart from God will completely disappear. And so we won't. Right now, I can't imagine how I won't have angst for my family and I won't have pain for my family. But we read that our perspective will be different. Well, I've never had that perspective, so I can't imagine it. All I know is that it'll be true. Here's what I know. Revelation 21, four is this promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All those things are gone forever. That's the promise. I will have complete joy. Even if I can't understand how it works, I mean, I can intellectually understand what scripture says. Intellectually, I get it. Okay? I can't feel it yet because I'm not changed that way yet. But here's what we know. Hell will have no power over heaven. None of hell's misery will ever veto heaven's joy. That's just the truth. That's what we have to look forward to and to expect. And so that's, that's a, a primer on our relationships in heaven. That's how good God is and what he has prepared for us. We will see God clearly and it will bring us such joy. And every relationship that we have, every experience we have will flow through that and all of it will magnify God. All of it will bring him joy. All of it will increase our joy in him. That's the way that it will work. So the catch is this. Belief. 
This is what's coming. If we believe it, then it changes the way we live life. If we don't, then we just put it in our back pocket. It is what it is. But if we believe it, then it changes the way that we live. Faith, certainty. I'm going to pray for us. I ask the ushers to come forward uh, and collect this morning's offering. If you're visiting with us, this is a time for you to drop your, your connection card in the offering plate. Please feel under no obligation um, to participate unless God's leading you that way. And uh, as we collect the offering, the praise team is going to sing a song for us. And, and I want you to, to drop your, your uh, offering in the plate and then just reflect. Pray and reflect on the music that simply says this, we believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe all of these promises. And so I want you to reflect on that um, as, we, as we pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We thank you for the truth in Scripture that you um, care for us, that you've provided for us. We thank you for the truth in Scripture that you provide us with these relationships, not so that they can end at that time of redemption, but so that they can go even further and deeper. And I thank you for the fact that the relationships that I have now will be strengthened and furthered in heaven, and that new relationships that I've never even dreamed of will, will be born and will have value, and that, that the things that are hard in relationships will melt away, and the things that are good that reflect you will be intensified and enhanced. God, I can't wait. I can't wait for that moment. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help me. And for other people that can't wait for that moment, I pray that you'll help all of us live this life with reckless abandon for the gospel. That we will risk, that we will pour ourselves out for the sake of the gospel. Because we know that what's next is wonderful and perfect and eternal. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Amen.